Before we move to the key part of our conversation, it's always a good discipline to remind everyone that this is not financial or investment advice and not a solicitation of any financial products, assets, or investment ideas. This is purely for informational and educational purposes. And with that, we can move on to our conversation. Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon, wherever you are. Hi, everyone. Today, we have an interesting podcast with an interesting project. So in order to not represent anything incorrect, I'll, I'll let my guest introduce himself, and then we can, we can jump right in. Yeah, thanks for having me on this chat. So I'm Xavier, the founder of Prepio. And Prepio is a decentralized trading platform which will allow anyone to gain synthetic exposure to any pre-IPO company or any pre-token crypto project. And so our mission is to democratize pre-public investing. So allow anyone to gain access to these private market opportunities, which they were previously excluded from. And you're building on DeFi. Exactly. So it's a, it's a DeFi protocol and platform. So how how did this idea come about? Why do you need why does it need to exist? And even more importantly, I guess, why does it need to exist on crypto slash DeFi rails? Yeah, so I think it's one of the more unique cases where it actually can only be done on crypto, I feel. So if you look at the current landscape of things, if you're a retail investor and you want to gain access to private market opportunities, you're pretty much completely excluded from being able to gain early access. And you end up having to buy when it goes public, which is already multiples, multiples higher than where you would have had conviction in the early stages. And so, you know, all the data shows that most of the gains are to be had in the private market stage, which are typically exclusive to those who are already wealthy or well-connected. And then if you think about non-retail investors as well, so like you're in credits investors or like institutional investors, for them, Gaining access to private market opportunities also isn't guaranteed. So they'll have to fight over deals. And so they might not get the exposure that they want. And so they might even go to like secondary market kind of platforms. But if you use those platforms, you'll find that it's really, uh, there are many disadvantages there. So firstly, you're getting really opaque pricing. So you're not really sure what is the right price for each of these assets that you're trading. And then the process could take days or weeks. There's really high fees really illiquid as well. Typically you have to wait until like six months after it goes public before you can sell again. And so when you combine all these things together, it's a really um, troublesome experience as both a retail and non-retail investor trying to gain access to private market opportunities. And so this is where Prepio comes in. So if we put it on the blockchain instead and we use DeFi and we have this platform that facilitates um, price discovery and active trading of different positions, then it can just run autonomously. There's no limits to how many people can participate and there's very transparent pricing all around. And because you cut out the middleman as well, everything's much cheaper and it can integrate with a lot more things. And so all around, it's a better experience just by nature of being more open and accessible to all. And why why does it need uh, crypto rails uh, behind it? Why can this not be done in, you know, in a more traditional framework? So in the more traditional frameworks, it's mainly because it's dealing with the real assets, like the real, I guess, each of these particular markets, you would have to arrange a particular deal with the particular company or the particular project. And for many things, like, for example, on the token side, 
that's simply not going to happen. No one's actually going to create a marketplace for these things where they actively put up, you know, their private investments and offer to exchange it. You're not going to have like a very public marketplace for that. And then on, on the share side of things, you have to go through all these kind of hurdles just in order to exchange your shares. And so because of all these limitations around that, it's really slow and clunky and expensive. Now, if we have a synthetic versions of it instead, where it's not the real thing, but you can still gain the same like upside or downside exposure, suddenly you can very freely trade all of these things without restrictions in a decentralized and trustless manner. Because the real difference between owning like the real share and the synthetic one, for most people, they don't really care about the difference there. People want the exposure. People don't really care about the tiny, tiny like voting rights they might have when it eventually goes public. And so because it's mainly about the exposure and being able to participate, that's why we go for the synthetic angle and that allows us to scale. And the best way to do that is uh, using crypto. Got it. Is this the direction that you see DeFi going more broadly, i.e. sort of bridging between the traditional financial assets and, you know, and the crypto native assets via this more advanced kind of innovative infrastructure? I would say anything that has to connect to the traditional world, like when you have, you know, the blockchain trying to interact with real world things, that's where it gets complicated. So what we're trying to do is not have that bridge at all and just create a kind of reflection of reality without having to arrange direct connections. And that's what allows us to make it scalable and, you know, decentralized and trustless. Um, if we tried to make it so that, you know, everything was backed by an individual share or, you know, anything that tries to tokenize real world assets, you face all these like complications because ultimately it has to tie back into the real world system. And that inherently has a number of limitations and restrictions around it. So that's why we focus on this whole synthetic side of things. Does this mean you need to build some sort of a price oracle, which will effectively track the price of some asset on Bloomberg or at exchange, and that's what will ultimately define kind of the exit value for those who are trading the pre-IPO, so to speak? Yes and no. So if it were completely public already, so for example, there are like you no know, synthetic assets that track things that are already public, then yes, you do need a price oracle to kind of match up the prices there. But since these are private assets, there actually is no price oracle for those things, and there is no prevailing price for any of these things. So there is no oracle that exists for these. And so it's kind of in reverse. We're creating the price and we're allowing for the price discovery. And so the only time an oracle actually comes in is when it does go public. And that's when we feed in a final settlement price. And that determines how all of this collateral in the system is split between the long positions and the short positions. And so that's ultimately the one point at which you can redeem things. But prior to that, everything can be like traded so you can go in and out of positions at any time and you go long or short. And so prior to it actually going public, it's purely supply and demand that determines what the prevailing price is. And then anyone else like around the world, even if they're not trading it, they can use Prepure as the reference for what is the prevailing price of this private asset according to these traders. And presumably when you're trying to create liquidity for for a brand new asset effectively or rather add liquidity to an asset which is not liquid, you need to think through the kind of the microstructure of your liquidity providers and how the market dynamics will work. So I, I guess you have some 
some smart, sophisticated mechanism that uh, facilitates all of that. Yeah, so liquidity is really important for each of these markets. So basically how we structure it is we indirectly acquire liquidity through like a bonding-like mechanism, and then all the liquidity is controlled by the protocol. And then initially we'll just allocate a bit more manually across different popular markets. So we might have a short list of, you know, popular pre-token markets and popular pre-IPO markets, and it'll just be based on the votes of token holders. But what we're working towards is having a dials or gauge-based system. And so basically token holders can dynamically vote for where they would like the liquidity to be directed. So if it's a very popular market, then people will want more liquidity directed there so that it will generate more fees, which is good for those token holders. And so the incentives are aligned for them to choose to direct liquidity to where it will generate the most fees. And so because there's that natural incentive alignment, liquidity will be allocated to where it will generate the most fees and where people actually want to trade. Nice. So it sounds like the kind of zero to one innovation here is not just on the technical side where you allow for all of this to exist, but also the social dynamics of it, where you're allowing the market to choose to basically vote for an asset that they wish to get involved with. Exactly. And we'd like it to be, we'd like to get it to as much of an autonomous state as possible. So people can propose new markets and people can redirect liquidity to the markets where they want to trade. And so the liquidity will automatically adjust and redirect to where people actually want to trade. So that at any one time, there will always be the most desirable markets to trade on. And on the point of liquidity, speaking more broadly, liquidity is an interesting feature in, in DeFi, right? You don't have the traditional financial market participants and therefore, you know, this liquidity as a service, liquidity mining and all of this kind of slang became quite a vital feature of the space. So what's your kind of longer term view on on how the liquidity will function both in your uh, platform and in the space more broadly. Yeah, so I think we've evolved beyond the stage where any protocol should really be doing liquidity mining. So liquidity mining where you know you just give out free tokens for liquidity miners to temporarily stay in a pool. I think that really doesn't make any sense anymore because all of these projects already like it's very easy to raise these days. And so all these projects will already have enough of a treasury that they can actually provide the liquidity for their own token or their own markets themselves. And so if they can already do that, there's no reason to also hand out free tokens when they can instead provide from their treasury and collect fees and it's permanently there. So I think liquidity mining should be dead. Um, it's still around, but it should be dead. And then you combine it with um, the innovations of like concentrated liquidity and that allows you to for example provide in a much tighter range which is still a very very wide range but it allows you to effectively multiply how effective your liquidity is so for example in uniswap v2 star markets where you don't have concentrated liquidity you're providing from like zero to infinite and that's obviously really inefficient because you're essentially providing liquidity for where no one will ever trade if you instead restrict it from like if you have a particular mid price and you provide it from like one quarter of the current price up to like four times the current price but i think that's like two times effective liquidity and that's still a very wide range to be trading in and so if you're providing liquidity from the treasury and you're multiplying it using concentrated liquidity you can get much much better liquidity these days than compared to like two years ago because of all these new innovations i think liquidity mining should be dead 
anyone still using uni v2 should <laughs> should not be using that and we should be using concentrated liquidity and just using that alone you're like multiplying your liquidity and how uh, stable it is and then going forward into the future i think they'll become like more active like strategies in terms of how that liquidity is moved around so where that concentrated liquidity ranges and so that'll unlock even more potential as to how effective the liquidity is does this mean for the pre-PO marketplace, uh, well, basically market makers rather than actually the retail? Because the, the reason for this question is obviously the concentrated liquidity requires some degree of active involvement or definition, right? And more professional engagement than just saying, okay, here's a pool. Let me put some tokens there and, you know, and go on a holiday. Just judging from, from your overall thinking about the liquidity mining more broadly, I, it sounds like you're leaning towards a similar model for, uh, for pre-PO as well. Yeah, well, firstly, like you can be still, you can still be passive and still be way better off than Uni V2. So even if you just passively provide, you know, from one tenth of current price to 10 times current price, it's still like better than um, Uni V2. And as long as you're certain that it's not going outside those ranges. And then I think, you know, even doing it like a very minimally passive strategy of like, like readjusting the, the midpoint of your range every now and then based on some like, time weighted average price, like at very infrequent intervals will still be more effective than doing nothing. So yeah, I think it's going towards more active strategies, but for like, in terms of like retail participating in it, I think like what we're, what we're doing is anyone can participate in it indirectly. So they provide liquidity indirectly via a, like a bonding like program. So they can essentially mm-hmm. get discounted tokens by providing like either LP shares or just base tokens, which we then put into our own strategy. And then they don't experience any of the impermanent loss and they don't have to worry about actively managing the strategy, but they've provided some liquidity, which we can use in our more active strategy. So I think it'll go more of that direction where you no know, retail aren't expected to manage the positions, but they still want to you know, participate in the liquidity side. That's that's very interesting. And the other thing I'm curious about is one of the challenges of, let's call it more active liquidity provisioning, because there are obviously different spectrums, right? You can have UNV2, which is quite inefficient, but you never need to touch it, versus something you're describing, which is, you know, kind of zero to one, 10x more efficient, but requires a little bit of involvement. And then we have the other spectrum where you have, you know, extremely active kind of intraday potentially. Uh, market making because whether you're moving a million dollars or a hundred dollars you're still paying the same gas fees so what's your kind of thinking on on scalability here in terms of number of transactions and ability for smaller users to to actively participate uh, because obviously gas costs are are an issue for the industry yeah well i think this aligns quite nicely with where the innovations are going with scaling as well so i think there isn't really any reason to not be on a layer two these days. And even if not a layer two, you should be on like an alternative layer one. Cause it just, it doesn't make sense to be on mainnet because the gas costs are so high. And so you really can't do any active strategies because the friction is just so high there with the gas costs. So I'm really bullish on layer twos because essentially as more and more users go there, it'll get cheaper and cheaper actually, because all of these transactions are being batched together. So the average cost is lower. Whereas on alternative layer ones, uh, as you get more and more users there, it's actually going to get more and more expensive. And so it's only temporarily in the short term, 
maybe slightly cheaper than a layer two, but as soon as you actually get users there, it's going to start getting more expensive. So I think layer twos are where everything is going to happen. And I think they're calling, you know, this year L2 22. So I also <laughs> believed in that last year. And I think um, that's where it's going. And then you add on like all the, um, you know, token incentives that are probably going to come to these layer twos. And I think that'll accelerate people moving over to the layer twos. And so then because everyone's there, you can do all the active strategies on the layer twos with like pretty minimal costs. Any particular one that you're most excited about? I mean, we're going on Arbitrum and they don't have a token yet, whereas like Optimism just announced their token. And I think their, their token structure is like very smart and it's definitely going the right way about like building an ecosystem in the long-term ecosystem because they have the, you know, the public goods funding and all the incentives for people building in the space. So I think that's great. I'm not sure how like Arbitrum's one will look, but we chose Arbitrum because it has more traction so far, but really they're quite similar, I feel. So ultimately, you know, if one wins out and the other, we're like chain agnostic. So we'd be happy to jump from one to the other if one is clearly beating the other. That that makes all the sense. So going back to, to Prepio, so you obviously will be creating effectively your own, well, not necessarily price oracles, but the benchmark for where a specific private market asset can actually be traded through your platform. Is it fair to assume that at some point there should be a convergence, i.e. there is a, let's say there is an you know, optimism token, right? That is currently being traded on, on Prepio. And then at one point that token will actually go live and it will have a public market price. So what will happen at that point in time? Will the will it be reasonable to assume that the pricing should converge otherwise it can be somehow arbed away or would this still continue to function as two separate markets because potentially maybe someone is selling or rather not selling but wants to hedge out their vesting exposure and therefore they will trade at the private market valuation rather than the public market valuation how what's the right way to think about this yeah, so the right way to think about it is Prepio is exclusively for the private market stage. So once it goes public, there's no reason to trade on Prepio, but the price on Prepio will reflect that final settlement price. So we feed in that final settlement price based on the price at the end of the first day of public trading, and that's like fixed. And so there's no reason to trade anything other than that. And people can exit their positions and then trade on the many, many other options once you know, a token or a stock goes public. So yeah, we're just focused on that private market stage. Got it. So therefore it's a constant, and it probably will require quite active engagement from the users, right? Because effectively you're trading assets with a finite lifespan because once they go public, they're no longer, no, no longer relevant. So it's very important to have an active community that will keep voting on introducing new, new and new assets. Yeah. Well, I think that keeps it exciting as well, right? So when you, yeah. when something has gone public, then you like cycle into the next one and cycle into the next one. And it's like never ending yeah. there. Well, there is, yeah, it seems there is a, a lot of opportunity for kind of gamification of the process as well, which brings the question of NFTs, right? Is there anything that can be done with NFTs for either trading them somehow or some version of that, or uh, just integrating NFTs into your platform in some other form? Yeah, so I think more broadly on like gamification, we're intending to bring gamification to the platform. And so that means, or we call it like social gamification. So everyone will have their own profile, 
with their own avatar. Everyone unlocks achievements and levels and experience points. And these all tie into the PPO staking system as well. And so essentially these unlock like multipliers, which will enhance the staking rewards that you receive. So by unlocking more and more achievements and by actively using the platform, you're going to be earning PPO tokens. You're going to be unlocking achievement multipliers, which boost your staking rewards. And there are other actions like that are quite social. So you can check out others profile. You can follow them. We'd like to have like copy trading in the future as well. Leaderboards. So people at the top of the leaderboard might get bonus rewards as well. There's a PPO shop. So once you have your PPO, you can spend it on various items for your profile. So when others go to it, it looks really cool and you can, you can sell those back as well. And yeah, lots of gamification aspects we want to bring to make it a more engaging experience because ultimately it's a platform and a protocol. So on the protocol level, it's backing the platform, but it could also be backing like centralized exchanges or other apps in the future. But then we have the platform, which is very gamified as well. That's a very detailed way of thinking about this because it right. creates so many opportunities, right? I can even venture an assumption that potentially you can offer like, you know, copycat trading functionality, right? Because if I have my right. social profile and I have a certain private portfolio, you can just probably click a button and then you can replicate what I have and pay me a commission when I rebalance my portfolio or something. Yeah, well, I guess the, the gamification aspect is because I have a game development background. So I used to develop like independent experimental games and I'm really, really interested in game design. And so that part of me wanted to make this a gamified platform. And so I, I know that if you make something more fun and then it's more engaging and people will come back to the platform. So that's why I chose that kind of side of things. And then, yeah, all the new features that we add as well, if you introduce it in, in a gamified way, then that's, it'll bring a lot more attention than if you have it in a, in a very hidden, like non-user-friendly way. So everything's about keeping it simple and fun uh, to use. And so people engage with the platform more. That's very true. And, you know, all the, all the meme coins and all the gamification of NFTs has obviously been a, <laughs> a confirmation of this, of this theme, I would say. And, you know, what's the long-term vision for PPO? You know, it's pretty clear the, what the value of the product and the platform is, but where, where do you see this going in, you know, years down the line as a, as a network? Yeah, so I see, firstly, we'll always have this, you know, decentralized platform side of things. And so anyone can access that just by nature of it being like completely decentralized and self-governed by the community. But also we'd like to have it integrated more closely with other platforms that a wider audience is using who might not ever want to touch like a you know decentralized platform because it's still a bit too unfamiliar to them. So on the decentralized platform side, we'll have all these integrations like you know, like fight on ramps and being able to sign up using your email and just using a debit or credit card. So there's we abstract away all the crypto complexity there. But even still some people might not be like comfortable with these kinds of platforms and accessing it in this way. And so we'd like to have you know, the PPO protocol be used as a infrastructure layer for existing centralized exchanges as well. And so people who are using their favorite centralized exchange will be able to use PPO in the background and essentially gain access to private market opportunities without like leaving the interface that they're already familiar with. And so that's one integration that will reach a much, much wider audience and allow people to gain access to these opportunities. And then secondly, we'll have a PPO Pro product. And so it'd be following the path of say Aave and Compound and OneInch who are all working towards a Pro product. 
which is just basically a more compliant version of their existing platform. They're bringing in like KYC and other kind of compliance measures. And so this will ensure that um, when using the platform, they can use it safely and they know who they're trading with. And so by having a more compliant product, they may actually be comfortable using Prepure as a platform. Got it. With regards to DeFi, composability is obviously an important feature, right? So an ability of a specific asset of a specific platform to become some sort of a primitive, right? right. Um, where you can have a coin that is deposited into some platform and then that wrapped version of that coin becomes an asset in itself. And then it allows, you know, this money Legos, right? And ability to build on top of each other. So um, it's interesting to hear how you are kind of doing your best to target both, let's call them crypto natives and, and non-crypto natives with various kind of tweaks to the, to the platform and to the product. Do you see any opportunity for DeFi composability and collection with kind of DeFi native products? Yeah, like our platform will already be very integrated with those. Like, so on the whole, like liquidity side, for starters, of course, we're using all these different protocols in order to get the most efficiency out of our liquidity and being able to have token holders vote on where things are dynamically redirected. That's all done on chain. And so that's all unlocked by smart contract. And more broadly, we'd like to do lots of other integrations with other protocols. And so, for example, like leverage that would um, integrate with other kind of lending and borrowing protocols. Um, in the backgrounds, we use all the collateral in the system and use those in various yield farms to generate yield. And that helps offset some of the impairment loss that the treasury faces by providing liquidity to all these markets, which allows us to provide a lot more liquidity to each of these markets because we've got that reduced risk there. So those are some examples of the integrations. Another one is like insurance. So by default, we don't opt everyone into insurance because that would increase their, the cost of getting into these positions, but we will have surface an option for them to take out insurance on the smart contract risk of these different yield funds in the backgrounds and of the platform itself. And so if they want, they can take out that insurance against their positions and that can make them feel safer. Many other integrations we're looking at exploring, of course, all of these like long and short positions in these markets are all like fully composable. And so you could use them in like indexes elsewhere. You could use them in other protocols. You could use them as collateral to borrow against on other protocols. Uh, so there's lots of possibilities there as well. Oh, that's, uh, that's very interesting. I especially like your comment about insurance. So, you know, as a, as a, as a DeFi fund, uh, we buy insurance every single month. And I think it's very, it's a very underappreciated piece of, of working in DeFi because like with any risk, you don't care about it until it's, until it's too late. <laughs> I, I think giving that optionality to your users is very important. Um, interesting. So if you were to, to leave our uh, listeners with one thought or with one piece of alpha, because obviously we all care about alpha, what, um, what would you suggest that we think about and keep our eyes on? Well, I think with regards to Prepure, obviously we're launching quite soon. Actually, our testnet is going live pretty soon as well. So anyone who is like actively engaging in our early community has a chance to get a pre-gen pass. And that basically gives you early access to the guarded launch of the platform and some bonus like pre-genesis points, which are special things you can spend after the token launch. And we'd encourage you to get involved early in our community and give your feedback. And then more broadly, 
yeah, this this is L two twenty two, I believe, and I think a lot of our upcoming airdrops are probably going to happen when Prepure is live. You'll be able to speculate on those, but until then, you could even just try playing around with these various different platforms. And historically, that's uh, turned out very well. Agreed, agreed. And it's uh, honestly, it's not a full time job to to use all these platforms and to play with them because there is. There's so much value that can be unlocked, but it's, uh, yeah, it yep. takes out quite a bit of time. So, yeah. Yeah, Great. well, I guess that, that, that's one of the good things about Prepare, right? Like not not everyone will have time. Like essentially people are playing around with these protocols to get like airdrops basically because they want that low cost basis uh, of zero. But if, yeah. if you want to essentially just get exposure to these things that you believe in, uh, you can just use Prepare instead and then not have to go through all the process of like, trying to farm airdrops for example yeah i agree because obviously you know the game has changed quite a bit as well right because in the past where by using some platform once or twice you get an airdrop worth ten thousand dollars now you you know to get the same amount you either need to run basically like civil bots (laughs) and try to have you know hundreds of wallets doing some some interactions or you need to provide your capital at scale neither of which are options for those who are not doing it full-time Exactly. And then even if you are doing it full time, you could use Prepio to kind of hedge against your existing positions or like your mm-hmm. anticipated upcoming airdrops, for example. So yep. there's always that aspect with, which kind of balances out the price. So anyone who has like an existing position can basically go short to lock in any gains and that'll help adjust the price to what is you know, the true price for the market. Uh, agreed. I've actually been thinking about that, that as well, because again, as as a very active DeFi participant, we either have earned some airdrops or expect to earn some of them in the future. Mm-hmm. And uh, the markets are extremely volatile, right? So, you know, I was looking at DPI, the main DeFi index, and it's it's down like 30% in April. And a lot of DeFi assets specifically are down 70, 80% since the year started. So time flies very fast and you might be expecting to get a certain valuation and then the market just changes. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, an ability to have, you know, exposure to a cost-efficient hedging mechanism is is very much needed in the space, especially for this kind of, well, not let alone um, the, you know, kind of the mid-cap assets, but the private ones as well. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, as you know, I'm personally very excited about PPO. I think it's a it's a really really cool thing, and it unlocks a very interesting market. As someone who's been you know who is not able who's not been able to get access to some of these you know coolest and and most exciting projects, getting exposure on the secondary market is is um, very much appreciated. Yeah, well, looking forward to seeing you on the platform. Thank you. Good luck with the launch, and looking forward to playing with the platform. Thanks very much. See you next time. Thank you.